the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Uh, Today, I'm also excited. We're starting a brand new series. Uh, This whole summer is going to be about the idea of putting others first. We try to do that in different ways every year, but we come back to that core idea of our faith every single summer. This is not an exception. But today, we're going to start a series called Stories Like That. Does anybody remember Rich Mullins from back in the day? He was probably my biggest hero in the early 90s. I still love his music, still love the way that it um, draws my heart to God. Probably my favorite of all of his songs was one called Boy Like Me, Man Like You. And it was where he's talking to Jesus and he's imagining how Jesus grew up. And then he, he says these words. Did they tell you stories about the saints of old? Stories about their faith? They say stories like that make a boy grow bold. Stories like that make a man walk straight. And at the end of this prayer, he says, and if I ever really do grow up, Lord, I want to grow up to be just like you. I love that song, love that prayer. It means so much to me. But those are exactly the heart of that idea is exactly the heart of how the parables work. About a third, actually more than a third of everything that's written down that Jesus said is some sort of a parable that he told. Stories that he made up because he wanted us to get it. He wanted it to stick. He wanted it to really connect. He wanted to change the way we looked at everything. And so Jesus actually, he became like us. He experienced things like us. He told us stories in ways that made sense in this world, but he was constantly trying to switch our perspective to look at life the way he did. He spoke about a kingdom where everything was upside down. The the least were the greatest. The servant of all became the greatest of all, and the last are first, and the first are last. And the greatest way to serve the king is to serve the helpless and those who can't help themselves, those who are kicked out and ostracized by society. And the parables that he told, these stories that he told, were one of the most effective ways. So we're going to explore those again this summer. But I I want you to realize from the get-go, I'm going to say this several times, these are not just stories for us to memorize or think about. They're designed so we dig deep. And every time we look at them, there's something more every single time. And they're designed not just for us to go, oh, that's cute, that's neat, that's profound. I might hang that up on my, on my poster, or I might put that on my mug or a t-shirt. It's designed to be how we live our lives. It's how we look at life, how we understand reality. It's so much deeper than it seems like on the surface. Parables were actually an old tradition. Jesus didn't make up the idea. Several centuries before Jesus walked around on the earth, there was a guy named Aesop. Ever heard of him? He was a slave that told stories. Actually, a lot of his stories he probably didn't actually tell, but that's a whole other story. He actually told a great ones. The most famous one is the tortoise and the hare. Anybody ever heard of that one? Okay. And you get the idea. Nobody thinks there's a real tortoise and a real hare that had an actual race. But we get it. We, we hear that story and we go, oh, yeah, that makes sense. Slow and steady wins the race. It's way better to just do what you do and stay at it than it is to be the very best at something but be lazy and arrogant and a jerk about it all. We still get that all these hundreds of years later. Well, Jesus has the same kind of thing going on, except it's even more inspired. It's actually from the truth, the real, real truth. All throughout the Bible, all throughout the Old Testament, there are lots of parables as well. In fact, last week we wrapped up this series on uh, Judges, and I told the story of Abimelech. Part of that story, if you want to go back in Judges 9, his little brother Jotham tells 
him and the people of Shechem a parable. It's a pretty cool one too. We just don't have time to dig through that. But a lot of the prophets are parables. But it also makes clear in several passages, I'm going to read one of them, that even the stories, even the actual historical accounts, the stories that actually happened, those are supposed to be interpreted as parables as well. They're supposed to shape our perspective. We don't just read them and go, this happened, this happened, this happened. We go, so what does that mean today? How should that shape the way that I interact with God and the world in my own heart today? Psalm 78, 1 through 4 is one of those passages. It says, Oh, my people, listen to my instructions. Open your ears to what I am saying, for I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from our past, stories we have heard and known, stories our ancestors handed down to us. We will not hide these truths from our children. Proverbs 1 Verses 5 to 7. And Proverbs is all about wisdom, all about how to live life well. And you see another part of Jesus' consistent perspective here of how he told parables, things he would say. You see that here in the Old Testament as well. Let the wise listen to these Proverbs and become even wiser. Let those with understanding receive guidance by exploring the meaning in these Proverbs and parables, the words of the wise and their riddles. Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. If you read through the Gospels, you hear Jesus saying often things like, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. There's a challenge, there's a code. Anybody could kind of get it, but there's layers and layers of heart-shaping, perspective-shaping truth in each one of these stories. How many have heard the one about today's title? If you notice, it says Firm Foundations. How many know the the wise and foolish builder? We know this one, right? We sing a song about the wise man built his house upon the rock. You can do this. Just try it once. Just the first line. Ready? I know you know this. The wise man built his house upon the rock. Nice. You, You know this. And you know what happens next. But here's the thing. I always did that motion as a kid and and it kind of shaped how I how I thought about it. I always thought, man. How do you find a rock big enough to build a house on? I I guess I always just pictured it as like a cliff or something. But but actually, it's a little clearer in a second. uh, We'll read how Jesus told that story in Luke. But first, let let me kind of show you these pictures. Every year, we are so blessed to join Kim's big extended family. Everybody gets one room in a house kind of like this. Not necessarily this house. But we each get one bedroom for our family. And we spend a week just as an extended family. And these houses are near the beach in North Carolina. It's a tradition that was going on long before I came into her and their life. And I'm very thankful to get to be part of that. It's really fun. But the people who build these houses, uh, they're onto something big. They're onto exactly what Jesus is talking about because they're right next to the beach and everything is just sand and it's constantly eroding and changing. But the reason these houses work, these multiple stories houses work (laughs) <laughs> See what I did there? Stories. Okay. The, the reason that the, these, these several story houses on stilts work is because they know what Jesus knows. They dig all the way down until they find bedrock. And they build everything on top of that. Here's how Jesus told the story in Luke. So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me 
listens to my teaching and then follows it. It is like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the flood waters rise and break against that house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against that house, it will collapse in a heap of ruins. Pretty basic, right? You've heard this. But how many of us, be honest, think about this for a second. How many of you actually base the way you live every day on the truths of Jesus? How many times do we try to just get some of Jesus' ideas and try to fit them in somehow into what we already do, what we already believe? How many times do we judge what Jesus say and says and say, I'm not sure I really agree with that because I believe this. Maybe Jesus is wrong about that one. How many times do we try to get Jesus' perspective to fit into ours? It doesn't work that way. Here's what I'd like you to say out loud with me today, if you would. We dig down and build on the bedrock. Yeah, it's kind of a longer sentence, but let's try it together. Ready? Here we go. We dig down and build on the bedrock. Here's what that means. We listen to Jesus' teachings, but we also apply them. And we don't just settle for listening, just hearing, just maybe even memorizing these stories and going, yes, I know how it goes, and I know the moral of the story that my Sunday school teacher told me what it meant, so I got that, I got that, I got that. We, we don't settle for that nonsense. We keep coming back to him. Remember, Jesus said right here in this story, someone who comes to him, number one, listens to what he says and then follows what he says is a wise person who digs down deep. We have to keep coming back to him every single time. Not just go, oh yeah, I've heard that story. We come to Jesus himself. We really listen. We ask him, we invite him to shape us, to change us, and to shift our perspective, to adjust us until we see things his way. It's the only way it works. After Jesus told the Sermon on the Mount, it says, when Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. We know from so many places in the Bible that Jesus had every kind of authority there is. Earned authority, given authority, all of this. But this particular word is exousia, which means an innate power and authority. Somehow when Jesus told these stories, people could sense. They got it. But this was the one who actually made up the truth. This was the way, the truth, the life that was talking to them. This is the person that the stories are about. I can't do that, but I'm hoping and praying that all summer long we'll be able to point you to him as we explore these stories together. See, Jesus told this just by the way he lived as well. Remember the story about where there was a storm out on the lake and Jesus calmed it? Okay, that wasn't one he made up. That's a historical one. But we see this same truth in there, how their, their ideas have to adjust to his, that what he does, what he says, actually changes everything for us. And here's how that story went in a nutshell. I think you know it, but they go out to, to sea, out on the Sea of Galilee, and a huge storm happens. Jesus is sleeping through the whole thing, and that terrifies them, probably angers them. They're like, are you kidding Think, think about this for a second. Have you ever felt like that about Jesus? Be honest. 
I have. Do you not see the storm? Do you not get it? Are you asleep? If we're honest, if we're real with Jesus, we've all felt that. And they go to him, they shake him, and he doesn't condemn them. He doesn't write them off. You can't be my disciples anymore. You doubted me. How dare you? He gets up and instead of speaking to them, he speaks to the storm itself and says, be still. I don't know about you, but if if I did that or you did that, that would be just crazy. That's my perspective on it. If, If somebody goes, wow, this is a huge storm. And I go, hold on, I got this. Settle down for crying out loud. Would you just like, what is wrong with this guy? That's kind of, it has to be where they were at that moment. But you know what happens. He says, quiet, be still. And it all got still. The waves stopped. The rain stopped. The wind stopped. It all got still. And all of them said, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. He's got authority that nobody else has. They were forced to shift their perspective. To see things differently. See it the way he saw it. Here's the second thing. We've said it several times already. Let's say it out loud together. We learn to see through Jesus' eyes. That's the purpose of the parables. That's what it's about. To see the world his way. So let's say it one more time. We learn to see through Jesus' eyes. Jesus also used a lot of metaphors, not so much stories, but word pictures. He was so creative, so artistic. He wanted us to get it, and he wanted us to remember it. He wanted it to make sense. He wanted it to be applicable. John writes one of the things Jesus said in John 8. Jesus spoke to the people once more and said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. Imagine with me for just a moment. Look around the room. Sorry, people at home. Maybe try this wherever you are. Just imagine that where you're at, where we're at this morning, you can see all the exits. You know exactly how you can get out. There's even some windows. If it was a real emergency, we might be able to bust them out. But imagine suddenly it went completely pitch black. Just boom. Suddenly all these aisles, all those really clear exits, they actually have exit signs on them. It wouldn't be as simple, would it? And you guys are all lined up in in lines here in long, skinny chairs. Well, I know they're called pews, but work with me. We're we're using our imagination. It suddenly would get really complicated because there's no light. But if we really needed to get outside in a hurry right this minute, and the lights are on, and I go, hey, everybody head on out. That would be really easy, wouldn't it? This is an easy question. That would be really easy. Wouldn't it? it would be so easy because the lights are on. And Jesus is saying, that's me. This is me. I am the light of the world. You don't have to walk in darkness. When you follow me, you can see what's real. You can see everything. You get it. You get how life actually works. The artist and author Austin Cleon brings back the old cliche. He says that um, you can't choose your family, but you can't choose your friends But he takes it further. He says, you can also choose the music you listen to, the books that you read, the movies that you watch. And he says, you are, in fact, a mashup of what you choose to let into your life. You are a sum of your influences. 
Most of us as Americans, we don't want to hear that. No, 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 no. I make my own decisions. I think things through. I'm a unique person. I, I, I just do my own thing. But it's, this is really true. And this is why we have to keep coming back to stories that are real, stories that are true, stories that are designed, whether they're Jesus's stories or even other stories that are designed to tell us truth. Another one of my heroes is actually kind of a team of people called the Inklings. Back in the early 90s was the first time I really started getting that C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien and all those guys actually knew each other. They were actually friends and they had this club and they would compare notes and they would work together. Over the course of this summer, I'm going to show you some stuff from Tolkien because the Lord of the Rings isn't just a great story. It's a very intentional story. Not quite as deliberately, um, deliberately symbolic as the Narnia stories that Lewis wrote, but very, very symbolic. It's not really about elves and dwarves and whatever else. It's about really deep things. And they worked together. They all compared notes. They got together every single Tuesday. And they would work together to maximize and utilize their talents because they had so much more in mind than just becoming successful authors. The Inklings wanted to strategically and intentionally influence the world around them. They wanted to change people's worldview. They wanted to use their abilities and their opportunities to, to shift people into seeing life from a perspective that God would have. That's why even characters like the wizard Gandalf represent some truths in Scripture. Gandalf is not designed to be a perfect image of Jesus in any way, but he represents Christ's power and his perspective. He's eternal. They know him as just this weird old guy that shows up sometimes, but he's actually in the, in the big story of the Lord of the Rings. He predates all their stories by centuries, and he's eternal. He doesn't die. It represents the kind of perspective that Jesus has that's way bigger and way more accurate than any other person's perspective could be. Gandalf also represents Jesus' sense of humor. I like this line. He says, I was talking to myself, a habit of the old. They choose to the wisest person present to speak to. <laughs> Next time you're talking to yourself, you might quote that. That might make you feel better about yourself. I like that one. He also said just some really practical, real things along the way, like this one. This is another one of my favorites. It's the small things, everyday deeds of ordinary folk that keeps the darkness at bay. Simple acts of love and kindness. That's just true. Tolkien was a Christian and he was trying to speak this truth into us. But there's more. And this is what I'd really like you to see this morning. From bringing, This is why I'm bringing up Gandalf. Gandalf called the people around him into adventures. He didn't just try to give them ideas. He wanted them to live differently. He did the things that only he could do, just like Jesus does things that only he could do. But he gave them real choices and real responsibilities, and he called them into the adventure. He knew that they had each had a part to play, and he couldn't play all the parts. Even as powerful and as wise as he was, he knew that he needed them to play those parts, and so he let them. And there's one key battle where he leaves. In the book, he, he doesn't make it as clear as he does in the movies. In the book, he leaves them to fight this battle. And they know he's coming back. He's told them he's coming back. But all he says in the book is this. Keep well, Lord of the Mark, till I return. Await me at Helm's Gate. Farewell. And then there's this awful battle that they're almost certain to lose. Except Gandalf said he's coming back. 
That's how you understand the parables. You realize that they, they matter every single day in this life, but they point toward the life that is to come. They point to something that's bigger than any life that any of us could ever understand or live on our own. A bigger perspective, a bigger purpose than just any generation could ever experience. Christ's return fuels our action here. John also wrote this down from what Jesus said. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Again, please hear me on this. I'm not going to say it so many times every single time this summer, but you got to get this. To know the truth is to live the truth. To know the truth is to experience the truth. To know the truth, to truly be set free by the truths in Jesus' stories is to actually step out in faith and live them out. Not just go, yeah, I've heard that. I think that's true. You dig down deep and you build every part of your life. How you handle relationships, how you handle money, how you handle every single part of your life based on that perspective that Jesus gave you. That's what this amazing picture means that Jesus said. I'm reading from Luke 5. And by the way, today I'm using the New Living Translation. Somebody asked about that the other day. I don't believe any one translation is right or evil. Uh, but this one is fairly clear and I don't have to reword it. I can squeeze in more scripture if I just read that instead of having to go back and explain what that would be in real life. But I encourage you always, please go back and read all these in any translation that you like, any language that's your heart language. Go back and listen to this. Look at God's word yourself. But this is straight out of the Bible um, in Luke 5, 36 to 38. Then Jesus gave them this illustration. No one tears a piece of cloth from a new garment and uses it to patch an old garment. For then the new garment would be ruined and the new patch wouldn't even match the old garment. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins, for the new wine would burst the wineskins, spilling the wine and ruining the skins. New wine must be stored in new wineskins. Let's put this picture up because most of us don't even know what that is. You, know, you don't put wine in skins. You put it in those long skinny bottles, right? That's, that's a wineskin. It's, it's basically like the body of a sheep or a goat. And they hollow it out and tie it up and they put the wine in there. And as it ferments, it, it stretches. But then it hardens. It gets really, really hard. And if you try that, do that process again, it just breaks. We don't know that, but they all knew that. And that's why Jesus said the stories he's telling, hear me, the stories he's telling are not to just give you new wine, it's to give you new wine skins. It's the stuff that he teaches us is supposed to reshape. So everything that comes into our lives, all of the choices that we make about what music we listen to, the movies we watch, the books we read, the interactions we have with other people, what we think of ourselves, all of that has to fit into these new wine skins that Jesus gives us. And he says, my stuff won't fit into anything you've got. You've got to take the stuff that I give you and then try your best to fit the other stuff into that. It's a totally different way of looking at life. And say that out loud with me if you would. We learn to live life Jesus' way. One more time. We learn to live life Jesus' way. 
Jesus said, heaven and earth will disappear, but my words will never disappear. No matter what it looks like, no matter what it feels like, no matter how everything around you changes, we have got to have our perspective and our faith and our lifestyles so deeply embedded, so dug down deep, so anchored in Christ that we just know if he said it, we believe it. If he said it, we believe it. If he said it, we believe it. And that includes if he's coming back. There will come a day. There will come a day. When the one who told us these stories will come back. And the only people who are going to be on the winning side are be the people that actually shifted their perspective to match his. The people did it more than just listen to the stories. They dug deep and they built their lives on those stories. They learned to see everything in life from his perspective. Here's one more story from Jesus and we'll wrap up this morning. Matthew 21, what do you think, said Jesus? There was a man who had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go work today in the vineyard. I will not, he answered. But later he changed his mind and went. Then the father went to the other son and said the same thing. He answered, I will, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did what the father wanted? The first they answered. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you to show you the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and prostitutes did. And even after you saw this, you did not repent and believe him. What are you going to do about this? What are you going to do? Here, here's one of the challenges that I'd like to give you. To dig down deep and build on the bedrock. I'd love for you to read through all the parables of Jesus this summer. If you just keep the sermon outlines that are in your bulletin and are already published online, it's all in there. We're going to walk through every single one of them over the course. You can literally just revisit those at home, and I dare you to do that. Even better, watch or listen through the Gospels. Just, just read through the whole story of Jesus. But spend some time. Dig deep. Get to know him. Don't settle for just what I tell you or what your Sunday school teachers tell you about or what somebody on Right Now Media or anybody else tells you about Jesus. Spend some time, get to know him. Get to know his voice in his own words. Spend some time with him daily. And then every, when you get something, when it makes sense to you, do it. Take action. Get it done. One of the things that we're going to do as a church this summer is a challenge. We've already made the challenge, and that is this. We want to spend a minimum of a thousand hours collectively serving our community. We've done this before, and we've blown it out of the water. But it's, it's been a weird season, so we're going to start simple. We're not going to shoot for like 5,000 hours, even though I think we could probably do it. We're going to go for a thousand minimum. But I'm asking you, figure out some ways to serve. Figure out some ways to help and bless people outside of this church community. Keep doing what you're doing for each other too, but we're going to reach out together. Keep track of the, the hours. We're going to see just how much we can do. 
And as you read these stories, as you hear them, as you walk through them alone or as we do this together, I urge you to really listen, to really listen, to learn to see things Jesus' way more than ever before. And then as you get it, as it starts to make sense, as the Holy Spirit starts unpacking it in your heart, actually do it. Because the wise people are the people who come to Jesus, they listen to what he says, and they follow it. Everybody else's houses are going to fall down, but those houses are going to stand forever. Please do whatever you need to do this morning to make that happen in your life. If you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time, if you've never been baptized, if you'd like to join our church, if you just need prayer, whatever it needs to happen in your heart for you to come to Jesus, to accept that whatever he's telling you in your heart right this minute, you're going to act on it right now. I dare you to do that right now as we stand and as we sing together.